0: Well, good morning. It's good to see everyone here this morning, and I trust that you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. This morning we're going to resume our series on prayer, and I guess I have the temerity to do that because Paul's the one who's normally preaching on this. As a matter of fact, we've already covered one of the prayers that Paul had for the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 1. And this morning we're going to talk about the prayer that he prayed in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. And that's the focus this morning of what God has for us. I trust that his message will apply. Let's look at this marvelous prayer that Paul prayed for the believers at the church at Ephesus, back in the very first and the very beginning of the first century. For this reason... I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints... What is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we may ask or think according to the power that works within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. I don't believe that you could ever read in Scripture a more high-minded prayer than what Paul prayed for the church at Ephesus in that time when he wrote this letter to them to encourage them in the faith. He soars to spiritual heights that are just utterly incredible, beyond comprehension. And when you consider what it is, as I had written in the introduction to your study guide, in preparing for this I, I read the essence of about 17 sermons at a fantastic preacher by the name of David Martin Lloyd-Jones, perhaps one of the greatest preachers in English and Welsh who's ever pre- who ever preached, who died in 1981. But I read, you know, he did 17 sermons on this passage of Scripture. I've got the nerve to stand in front of you this morning to try to do one. And uh, it would take many more than that, I figure, at least a half a dozen to begin to explain the depths of the riches of all that that Paul had for the church as he prayed for them, this particular prayer. But it's an amazing thing to consider. And when you look at it, as we introduce this whole thing, it really is a continuation of the prayer that he prayed in chapter 1. And I'd just ask you for a moment, go back to chapter 1 of Ephesians. And beginning there in verse 17, he says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know the hope, that is, pardon me, that you will know what is the hope of his calling, What are the riches of his glory and of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? And this is a continuation of this. And as we look at it, you'll understand more completely as to why. But that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened, that you might understand three things, which he says, beginning there in verse 18 through 19. But in particular, he's praying for the church here in Ephesus. And I think that we need to understand who it is. These are those who once were afar off, but now have been brought near by the blood of Christ. They were once not citizens of the commonwealth of Israel, but now they have been made members of the family of God. These are those who were living in darkness, but now have been brought into the glorious light of his truth in Christ Jesus. These are those that Paul referred to, beginning actually in the very first part of this chapter, in chapter 3. It is the believers. The believers. He says, I bow my knees before the Father, whose name, essentially, whose name. We get our name from Him. I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that He would grant you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit and the inner man. He prays three things, but I think, first of all, it is not only that we understand it's a continuation of what he prayed, but that he's petitioning them for three distinct things in this prayer. And let's look at the first point of that. And that is this. He's praying that God would grant to them to the Ephesians, to the believers at the church of Ephesus, that according to the riches of his glory, which is an awesome thing to consider in his self, that they would be strengthened with power through the Holy Spirit and the inner man, so that the result would be Christ would dwell in their hearts through faith. Now what specifically does this really mean when you get down to it? You look at, first of all, I think this thing of inner man is, needs to be explained. And we could only do this in a very cursory way, but as you look at the scriptures, in particular, Jesus said in John 7 38, He who believes in me, out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Out of his innermost being. And it also says in Proverbs chapter four, verse twenty-three, protect, or as it says in the old King James, or guard, or watch your heart with all, all diligence. For out of it flow the springs are the issues of life. Protect your heart. Now, how do we protect our heart? From which flows all the issues of our life. How are we strengthened in our innermost being, in our heart of hearts, unless it's by the power and presence of God's Holy Spirit within us? And this is why Paul prays this prayer specifically. I pray that God would grant you that He would grant you through His Holy Spirit to be strengthened with power in the innermost being, in your heart of hearts, because we need to be strengthened in that way. Look about this this, this comment about according in accordance or in according to his riches and glory, or the glory of his riches. And think about this, what that really means. Think about God's glory. How could you ever quantify it? How could you ever put value to it? When you look at God's glory, we're talking about the glory of His power, the glory of His presence, the glory of His holiness, the glory of His righteousness and His goodness, His purity. The glory of His power and majesty in every way. It is impossible to even quantify or understand the glory of God, much less to put riches to it. But it is rich. And the extent to which we are to be strengthened is in accordance with that glory. Does that tell you something? For, for, for sure that there is no limit whatsoever whatsoever to our strengthening available to us through his Holy Spirit. So he says, I pray that God would grant you, according to the glory of his riches, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man. Let's talk about how Christ can dwell in our hearts through faith. Because this is another key. This is the result of being strengthened with power through the Holy Spirit. This is the result that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith. What does it mean, except that we're talking about here dwelling to abide? And if you look at John chapter 14 and 15, you understand as Jesus spoke to his disciples in the upper room, what he meant by abiding. What he meant by that. And you look at Colossians chapter 1. He says here again he kind of reinforces this whole thing as one of the aspects of his prayer to the church at Colossae was that they would be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. Because we need to be steadfast and patient and we need to be strengthened by his holy spirit if we are to be. But there's another thing he says in John chapter 14 verse 23. Jesus said, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and will come to him, and make our abode with him. Our dwelling will be in him. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 5, it says, Whoever keeps his word... In him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. In 1 John 2, 5. So we know that the result of his indwelling presence in us, uh, of his strengthening presence in us, is that we are able then to truly begin to abide in him. And we're able to say... As Paul said in Galatians chapter 2, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In Galatians 2.20, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. We're not able, indeed, to make this commitment, We're not able to be strengthened until we have surrendered to him completely. And that's what he's asking us to do. That's what Paul is praying, that we will come to that point of knowing him in this way, of truly knowing God so that we might be strengthened with all power by the Holy Spirit in us so that Christ could truly abide in us by faith and we abide in him. And that's what it comes down to. Let's look again on the second point. He said now that if, if you do this, as you're strengthened with power, according to the riches of His glory, with all power through the Holy Spirit, so that Christ can dwell on your hearts by faith, you being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints, with all the saints, what is the breadth and length and height." And depth to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. To know him this way. Oh, how he loves me. We were singing just a few moments ago. Oh, how he loves me. Indeed he does. And we might know the extent and the fullness of that love in every way. Because we can be rooted and grounded. First of all, that's the condition, to be rooted and grounded. And I think as you go back to this, you understand there are a couple of parables that will help shed some light on this. Remember when Jesus told the parable of the sore and the seed. And he talked about how the seed fell upon the rocky ground and how it fell among the weeds and along the path. path. But when it fell into the good ground, when it fell into the good ground, it took root and sprung into true fruit. A hundredfold, maybe. And it is that way with us. The good soil of our innermost being, of our heart, cultivated by the Holy Spirit, is where His Holy Spirit bears witness with us that we know that we're His children. That He has a plan for us and He has a way for us. And indeed, what you really have to understand here is that it's important to To know that he's not talking about being rooted and grounded in knowledge. Not being rooted and grounded in knowledge, but being rooted and grounded in love. And it's like that seed that takes root deeply and grows to fruitfulness. Or it might be like, he says, and grounded like the wise man who built his house upon the rock. And when the storms came and the winds blew, that house withstood the storm. But on the other hand, he who built his house upon the sand, it said his house was destroyed when the storms came. So we need to be grounded in his love. And this means both understanding his love for us in every sense and manifesting his love in our life in every way. Being rooted and grounded in love that you might be able to comprehend with all the saints the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. Now, what does it mean that with all the saints? This scripture was not intended for the saints, as we think of it in terms of, maybe some of you came back from a Catholic heritage, and you think that the saints are those super-Christians who were beyond comprehension, they were holy, they were righteous in every way, they were upright and outstanding, and yet, we can't attain to that. That's beyond our, our ability to do. It's not that at all. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you have been born again of the Spirit of God, you are a saint. And that is to whom Paul wrote this letter to the believers at the church at Ephesus, most of whom were Gentiles, by the way. He wrote that letter to them that they might know and comprehend the fullness of God's love for their life. That they might be rooted and grounded in love so that, in essence, they can manifest the love of Christ in their life. Think about this dimensions, And this is the thing that was awesome. When you think about the breadth of God's love, as we measure, you know, we measure the breadth of this building or its width. It has a certain dimension here. It has a certain dimension from the beginning to the end. That's the length of this building. It has a height. That's the height. And we're talking about kind of a spatial type of measurement. We understand that. That's the three dimensions in which we usually think. But Paul's talking about a fourth dimension, the depth. The breadth and length and height and depth. But what does he mean by this? The breadth being this. We're talking about the width of God's love, which encompasses every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every ethnic group, Every race. And this was addressed, and remember, to these who were Gentiles, who once were afar off, but now have been brought near by the blood of Christ, as it says in, in the beginning of this chapter. These are the ones who've been redeemed. The breadth of God's love is incomprehensible, is immeasurable in every sense of the word. What about the length of his love? He said in Jeremiah, I will love you with an everlasting love. And he's talking in terms here of the eternal nature of his love. From the very beginning of the world, when the foundations of the universe were laid, God loved us and knew that we would be, every single one of us without exception, he knew we would be and he loved us. And that is why he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us the length of His love, the eternal nature of His love, from very, the b- very beginning unto the end. Jesus Christ, the same today, yesterday, and tomorrow. Then what about the height of His love? Think on this, that He saved us, that we might become, as He says in Ephesians here, members of the household of faith, part of the family of God, joint heirs with Christ. Think about to what he, to what element, to what degree he has, he has elevated us in our salvation. We haven't been just given heaven. But we have the privilege of knowing him and to know the love of Christ, which is beyond knowledge. We have that privilege. This is why Paul prayed the prayer to the believers at Ephesus. The height of God's love is awesome to think about. And the depth of his love, in that he left his throne in glory. It says in Colossians, he left his throne in glory to lay down his life, to become a man. So that he would lay down his life for us, that we might have life through him. Think about that. The full dimensions of God's love. Normally we think in these three dimensions, but this is beyond that. This is more than that. This talks about the fullness, in every sense of the word, of God's love for our life. So being rooted and grounded in the love of God enables us to understand the fullness. And lastly, he says, I want you to comprehend with all the saints, the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. Just as we have peace with God, as it says in Philippians chapter 4, the peace of God, which surpasses comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. If the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension is applicable, and we can know that peace in our innermost being, in our hearts, how much more that we might know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. You know, and the reason that we can know this, the important aspect of understanding is, is because he's given us the Spirit. It says in 1 Corinthians 2.12, it says, We have received the Spirit who is from God, so that we might know the things freely given to us by God. That's why the Holy Spirit came. And he talks about in that chapter in 1 Corinthians, the fact that spiritual things cannot be discerned by people in the world. And when people in the world who are not redeemed read this scripture, this just doesn't even make sense to them. It's not spiritually discernible by them. Because they have not the Spirit of God. We've received the Spirit of God that we might understand this. And it is God's intent and purpose for us, every one of us, to know this. To know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. That is a privilege. But the unfortunate thing is this. Is that some of us never taste that privilege. Some of us never know. Some mistakenly think, You know, this isn't for me. This is for someone else. This is for some type of personality, not me. I can't know this, but yes, you can. And it was intended for you as much as it was for me or anyone who's ever lived at any age, at any time, in any place on the face of this earth. It is for us. God intended it for us. That we might know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. That is our opportunity. Now, the third thing is this, that we might be filled up with the fullness of God. And when you think about what that means this is a summary I you know I see as I looked upon this scripture I saw that Paul asking distinctly for three things and it, when he says three things you know when he talks about being being strengthened with power through the holy spirit and the inner man so that Christ can dwell in your heart that's one thing when he talks about being rooted and grounded in love so that you might be able to comprehend with all the saints the length and breadth and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, those are awesome things. But now he concludes by saying that you might be filled up or filled to the knowledge of God. Depending on your translation, the NIV, I think, says with. Uh, the Eagle Standard Version says with. The New American Standard Version says to. But whether you're filled to the fullness, to all the fullness, or you're filled with all the fullness, it really means the same thing when you get down to it. You're filled with God. And when you look at this, in Colossians, uh, uh, in chapter 2, verse 9 in Colossians, it said that you might be filled up with all the fullness of the deity. It says in the old King James that you might be filled up with the fullness of the Godhead. That's how much Christ in us is real and available to us. That's how much it is. But there's a progression here, and I want to talk just for a moment about that. I think there's a progression as you look at the Scripture. And it starts with the heart, our innermost being. It starts with the inner man. As the Spirit of God begins to witness to us. And it says in Romans 8, 16, "...the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God." The Holy Spirit who's in us, if we have believed in Him and have been born again, is witnessing to your Spirit and to mine, our innermost being, that we are His. That He is in us. Christ in us. And the Spirit then bears witness with our Spirit, and as a consequence, our heart is strengthened. Our heart is strengthened that we might fight the spiritual warfare that we face. And I said in the first service, and I forgot to say this a while ago, whether we want it or not, whether we recognize the fact or not, you and I are in a spiritual warfare. We have an enemy. We have an enemy. And he is a great and awesome enemy, but he has been conquered. He has been conquered. Christ Jesus has defeated him. But that doesn't mean he's given up. He would destroy every single one of us. He would make a mess out of our life. He would make a mess out of this church if we allowed him to do so. We have to be strengthened with power through the Holy Spirit and the inner man in order that we might fight the fight. And if you look back just a few chapters from this one, in in chapter 6 of Ephesians, what does he talk about? As he brings this whole thing to a close, he talks about the armor of God. That you and I need to put on each piece of that armor carefully because we are in a spiritual warfare. Our fight is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers of darkness. So this is why we need to be strengthened with power. And when we are strengthened with power, we're able to comprehend and understand things we never could have before. And that's the full dimensions of the love of God for us. That he loved us so much, he gave his only son for us. Then we are filled up. When we come to that point, when we reach that plane, we are filled up with the fullness of God. Filled up. Filled up with the fullness of God. Think on that for a moment. Think of its awesome implications. Think of its privilege for our life that we would be filled up with the fullness of God. This is what is meant by abiding in Christ. I am convinced as we are strengthened with power in the inner man, so that Christ might dwell in our hearts through faith, we are abiding in Him. That's what it meant, so that Christ might dwell. Abide in your hearts through faith. And when you abide in Him, He abides in you. That's the promise of Jesus the Son and the Father. God the Father. That He would abide in us. And this is possible because He is able to do as it says in verse 20, immeasurably more, infinitely more, exceeding abundantly more beyond anything that we can ask or pray, or even imagine. Our God is so awesome, He's able to do this. And He's able to fulfill this Scripture in you and me, so that we might experience this ourselves, to be filled up to the fullness of God. Think of that. And for that reason alone, when you look at verse, the close of that of that particular thing there in, in chapter uh, 3, in verse... 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. So be it. Amen. He's able to do it. That's why I know that this verse is meant for me. And that's why I know that this passage of Scripture, this prayer that Paul prayed in the first century, is meant for you. It's meant for us. Even as Jesus spoke of it to his disciples about abiding. And I just challenge you to read the 14th and 15th chapter of John. And think on that, what he means by abiding. This is Christ dwelling in us. And what this really bring, comes down to is this. Ultimately, as we come to conclusion... It means this. It is the fulfillment of everything Paul said in Colossians chapter 1, verse 29. Christ in you, the hope of glory. You know, I can remember many years ago when I prayed, Father, show me what you meant by that scripture. I can remember the first time I heard it. And it just didn't make sense to me. But I asked him, I said, Father, show me what you mean by that. I can remember when I prayed for the very first time. Father, show me what it means to abide in you so that you might abide in me. Show me what it means. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's Christ dwelling us in us through faith. That is us being rooted and grounded in love so that we might comprehend with all the saints the full dimensions of his love, to know that which is unknowable. That is being filled up with the fullness of God. That is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so therefore, I think we need to understand one other thing. Why did Paul pray this prayer? What was the reason that he prayed it? If you look just at chapter 4, which follows... What does it start with this word therefore what's there for what is it therefore therefore he says i the prisoner of the lord implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called with all humility and gentleness with patience showing tolerance to one another in love being diligent to preserve the unity Of the spirit in the bond of peace. It is important. That we not only walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which we have been called. It is not only important that we have an humble attitude showing forbearance and tolerance to one another. Indeed to be rooted and grounded in love so that his love is operating freely within us. But it is that we ought to be diligent. Assiduous about maintaining the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And that's what it's all about. That's the purpose of this. That's why Paul prayed it. It follows in just naturally. If we are indeed going to achieve unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, how can we but do it but to have the fullness of the very Godhead indwelling us? That's the only way we can. Because we'll never be able to do it in our own strength. I don't care how greatly we try, how tolerant we are, how, how we might be tolerant, for instance, of all other things, of other cultures and other ways of doing things. It makes no difference unless we're filled with the fullness of God. Unless His love is freely operating in us and through us so that we might attain to the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And for that reason, Paul prays this prayer. It is an awesome thing to think about. I can't think of another passage of Scripture that is so awesome. And I trust and I know that God's Holy Spirit can minister to us. In spite of who preaches the gospel, His power is awesome. And this applies to you and me. Will we not heed it? Will we not obey? Jesus said to us, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you. We loved him. We love him because he first loved us. He wants us to be filled with that love, to know and to experience it, to understand and comprehend it, to demonstrate it. And that is what he's calling us to do. And that is why Paul prayed this prayer. And that's why it is applicable to every single one of you. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much. For your love for us, which is more than we can even begin to think about and comprehend. But Lord, we believe you because your word is true. And we accept that. We accept the reality of that by faith. That Even the faith that you have given us. Lord, we just praise you and thank you for your grace and mercy toward us. We praise you and thank you that we know you have called us to be filled up to the fullness of you, our God. Christ Jesus our Lord may that be so Father may it be so for the purpose that we would be striving diligently with all that we have to attain to the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace that we might love one another that we might pray for one another that we might serve one another to the glory and honor of Christ it is in his name and for his sake that we pray these things Amen